Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15, and we'll be reading this morning verses 18 to 21. John, chapter 15. Verses 18 to 21, let me just kind of set things up here for a second. As uh, most, if not all of you now know, we are in the midst of Global Missions Week. And Global Missions Week is simply an opportunity for us to remember that as a local church, we have a global calling from God. God is on a global mission right now to raise up worshipers for himself from every people group on this planet, or, or God is on a global mission to raise up disciples of Jesus from every single people group, and God has called every single Christian and every single local church to play an active role in his global mission. God has called us to raise up more God worshipers of all nations, and every fall we take a couple of Sundays to focus on our global calling, to, to focus on God's global mission. And here this morning, we'll be looking at one particular aspect of God's global mission, and that is persecution. The persecution of Christians and its connection to God's global mission. We'll be looking at a number of verses this morning. We won't have time to turn to all of them. Uh, we will read this one here in John 15, and then we'll put the rest of them on the screen for you. Let's, let's pray before we read. Father, we believe that your word is truth. Lord, apart from your word, we stumble around in darkness, and we do not see things clearly. And our little finite minds put things together wrongly. We do not understand the universe. We do not understand the way things work. We do not understand you. We do not know salvation through Christ. But Father, we believe your word is truth. You've given it to us to cut through the fog. And Lord, to set our minds and our hearts straight so that we might know you and this universe and understand things rightly and know Christ and the way of salvation. And Father, we just pause now and pray as we open your word and look at different verses in your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts and minds with truth and you would drive out the fog and the, 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 the meaningless sentimentalities of our darkened minds apart from your truth, Lord. We ask for truth, and we thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus is speaking. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep 
yours, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Amen. You know, Christians all over the world right now are being persecuted for their faith in Christ, experiencing all kinds of different hostilities, verbal abuse, ostracism, beatings, imprisonments, even martyrdom. A State Department report back in 1997 identified 60 countries where, quote, Christians face the reality of massacre, rape, torture, mutilation, family division, harassment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination in education and employment, and even death simply for what they believe, end quote. The World Christian Encyclopedia estimated that in the 20th century, over 45 million Christians were martyred. I had to go back and look at that multiple times. I could hardly believe that. Estimated that over 45 million Christians in the 20th century were martyred for their faith in Christ. The martyrdom of Christians has become a little more visible as of late with the presence of ISIS, which has now brutally beheaded a number of Christians. Persecution is a very real thing. But you know what? This may, this may come as a shock to you, but the persecution and even the martyrdom of Christians in this world, that is not a defeat for the cause of God's global mission. It might look like it, but it isn't. No, persecution is actually one of the primary avenues through which God advances His global mission on this earth. One of the primary ways that God has sovereignly determined to advance his global mission on this earth and ultimately raise up worshipers for himself from every single people group is through the persecution and even the martyrdom of Christians. Persecution is a God-ordained means for spreading the gospel around the globe. We're going to look this morning, I have four things the Bible teaches us about the persecution of Christians. And one thing the Bible teaches us, number one, persecution will come. The Bible is crystal clear on that. You look at verse 20 again that we just read. Jesus was speaking to his original disciples here, but this applies to all believers. Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And Jesus was persecuted, spit on, cursed, beaten, killed. So according to Jesus, all his followers will also be persecuted in similar ways. And, and there are tons of verses that say the same type of thing. Matthew 24, 9, Jesus says this. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. 
And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul says about Christians, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down. We are killed, but not ultimately destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Bible is clear. Christians will be persecuted. Do do you realize that that is part of our God-given calling as Christians? Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.20. He says to Christians, For what credit is it, Christians, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good, Christians, and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Leave that up for just a second. I want you to look at that. Go back to that first slide if you will, Ron. If you do good Christians and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, You have been called. Those of you who are Christians have been called by God to do good and suffer for it. That is part of our God-given calling as Christians. And and why has God called you Christian to, to do good and suffer for it? Peter says there, because... Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Listen, Jesus Christ did good on this earth and he suffered for it for you. He did good on this earth and suffered for it for you. Jesus suffered for us more than any human ever suffered. He took our sin upon himself. He paid the the full penalty of that sin, spit on, cursed, beaten, persecuted by men, and on the cross endured the full fury of God's wrath for our sin, an infinite suffering for us. And if you now genuinely trust in Christ as your Savior and Master, you've been forgiven of your sin. Praise God for that. But please listen. As Christians, people who have now been forgiven through the infinite sufferings of Christ who suffered for us, we have now been called by God to suffer for Christ. Peter says there that Jesus, in his suffering, left us an example that we might follow in his steps, so that we also might do good and suffer for it for the sake of Christ. Thank you, you can take that down. So persecution, persecution, doing good here in this life 
and suffering for it. Persecution. That is part of our God-given calling as Christians. It's part of our God-given calling. Persecution will come. And when, when will persecution come to Christians most frequently and most aggressively? When we actively seek to take the good news gospel of Christ to the lost. Especially to the unreached peoples of this world living in unreached areas. And when we keep Jesus to ourselves, just kind of hoard the blessings of God and keep Jesus within the four walls of our safe homes and our church buildings, persecution will be minimal. Possibly even non-existent. But when we take the gospel out to the lost, especially to the lost in unreached areas, persecution will come. And one of the primary reasons that the persecution will increase out there is Satan. Satan knows that God is on a global mission to raise up worshipers for himself from all nations. And Satan hates God's global mission. And he will actively oppose God's global mission. When we keep the gospel in... The lion doesn't roar all that much. Why would he? We're really no threat to him. But when we do actively seek to take the gospel out, especially to the lost and unreached areas, the lion roars. John Piper says, It is a biblical truth that the more earnest we become about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and the more devoted we become to reaching the unreached peoples of the world and exposing the works of darkness and loosing the bonds of sin and Satan, the more we will suffer. I've heard Christians say before, many times actually, we just don't suffer all that much in America. We just don't face that much persecution here in America. And yes, that's true, but I do believe that one of the reasons is because we keep Jesus inside. And when we start to go out with Jesus, with the gospel of Jesus, to the lost, even in America, we will suffer. Now, we might not be martyred yet in America, but we will suffer. Nigeria, at one time, was a very dark and unreached area in this world. And in the village of Miango, Nigeria, there is now a small church building called Kirk Chapel. And behind the chapel is a cemetery. There are 56 graves there. 33 of those graves hold the small bodies of missionary children. For many Christian families, that was the cost of taking the gospel to Nigeria. In an article in Christianity Today, Charles White commented on that, and he said, the only way that we can understand the graveyard at Miango is to remember that God also buried His Son on the mission field. And when God raised His Son from the dead, He then called the church to follow His Son into that same deadly mission field called the world. Persecution will come. It's inevitable. That's one 
thing the Bible says about persecution. And the second thing the Bible says about persecution, number two, persecution is appointed by God. You know, when, when, when you think about the persecution that comes to believers in this world, when you think about the martyrdom of believers, it was very, very easy to, to, to misinterpret those things. It's easy to think that God has absolutely nothing to do with it whatsoever, no role whatsoever that God plays in the persecution of believers. Now, I, I think a lot of Christians tend to think that, that every last bit of persecution in this world ultimately comes from the hand of Satan. Satan is supposedly some type of independent, sovereign being in this universe who, who I guess can somehow act outside of God's power and control. And Satan occasionally just kind of slips a punch in on God and his people every now and then. Satan just determines he's going to persecute Christians in some way, determines he's going to kill some Christians, and he then works through wicked people and carries it out, and God either doesn't see the punch coming, or he's too weak to stop it. Man, that, that is not a biblical view of persecution. It's not a biblical view of persecution. Yes, Satan may be the immediate agent of persecution on this earth, the, the ultimate source of evil, the one who directly stirs up and incites wicked people to persecute and kill God's people. But listen, Satan can do absolutely nothing to God's people without God's sovereign permission. Without God's sovereign will or decree or appointment. Job is a perfect example. Satan wanted to harm Job. Satan wanted to stir up wicked foreigners to persecute Job. So what did Satan do? Well, he didn't just somehow slip a punch in on Job when God wasn't looking and because God was too weak to stop it. No, Satan asked permission. <laughs> can I do it, God? Can I, can I persecute Job? And God allowed it for His eternal purposes. God allowed it. So, with God's permission, Satan then did it. Incited, incited these foreigners. They came in, killed Job's family, destroyed his things, persecuted Job. Satan was the immediate agent in the persecution, the ultimate source of evil, the one who directly incited wicked people to harm Job, but God was ultimately over the whole thing. Permitted it, ordained it, decreed it, appointed it. What, what did Job say after it all happened? <laughs> Job didn't step back and say, Satan did it. 
Now that's our temptation in the churches as Christians. Always blame Satan. Ultimately Satan. It's his fault. He did it. He did it. He did it. He did it. Job doesn't say Satan did it. No. Job said this. Job 1.21. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in Job chapter 2. Job says, should we receive good from God and not also evil? That's an amazing statement. You see, Job, Job, he, he, he rightly recognized that God was ultimately over everything. Even his persecution. And, and you can see the exact same thing in the persecution of Christ. You know, in the persecution of Christ, Satan was the immediate agent in the persecution. Yes. The ultimate source of evil, the one who directly stirred up wicked people like Judas and the religious leaders. But God was ultimately in charge. The Bible says in Acts 2.23 that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Wicked people carried it out. But God had planned to let them carry out what their wicked hearts wanted to carry out. Acts 4.28 says that God had predestined the crucifixion of Christ. Ordained it. Decreed it. Appointed it. And you know, it's really pretty simple. Satan is a murderer who wants to devour God's people. But God is way more powerful than Satan. If you picture the universe as being God and the devil kind of equal in power and they're just kind of duking it out up there in the universe and occasionally God slips a punch in on the devil and the kingdom of God moves forward a little. Oh, but then darn it, Satan slips a punch in on God when he's not looking and kingdom of God stumbles back a little bit on earth. That's not the way the universe operates. God is way, way, way more powerful than Satan. And Satan cannot touch even one hair on your head apart from God's sovereign will. Every last bit of persecution that comes to Christians in this life, every last martyrdom on this earth, Satan doesn't just somehow slip a punch in. No, every last bit of it ultimately happens only because God has sovereignly appointed it. To serve His eternal purposes. You see, God's ultimate goal is not just to keep you comfortable. God's ultimate goal is to advance His glory around the globe as the waters cover the seas. That's His ultimate aim. The persecution only comes because God sovereignly allows it to come. 1 Peter 4.19 says... Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. 1 Peter 3.17, it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. 1 Thessalonians 3.3, Paul, talking about his own afflictions there in 1 Thessalonians 3.3, he says, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined by God for our afflictions. And in Philippians 1.28, Paul says to Christians, for it has been granted to you. 
granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. It has been granted to you, Christians. By whom? Not by Satan. But by God. It has been granted to you by God that you should not just believe in Christ, but also suffer for Christ. At the end of the Bible, the Apostle John sees a vision. All these martyrs in heaven who had been slain for Christ. Christians who had been beheaded by ISIS for the sake of Christ. And in that picture at the end of Revelation, there of the martyrs. Martyrs are all crying out and they're saying, How long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood on those who killed us? And Revelation 6.11 says this, Then those martyrs were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And you realize what God is telling us right there in His Word. You realize what He's saying? He's telling us that he has sovereignly appointed a certain number of martyrs. Men, women, children who will be killed on this earth for Christ. God knows the number. God knows their names. And when that number is fully complete, and they have all been martyred, they're all wearing their white robes in heaven, the end will then come. John Piper says, martyrdom is not accidental. It is not taking God off guard. It is not unexpected. It is part of a plan in heaven that no human strategist would ever conceive or could ever design. So that's the second thing the Bible says about persecution. Persecution will come. Persecution is appointed by God. And the third thing the Bible says about persecution, persecution advances the gospel. Man, why in the world would God actually appoint persecution for His people? Why in the world would God actually appoint martyrdom For his people at times. Here's one of the main reasons. Because persecution advances the gospel. (laughs) Persecution is one of the primary avenues through which God advances his global mission here on this earth. Persecution is not a strategic defeat for the cause of God's global mission. No, persecution actually advances God's global mission. Persecution is a God-ordained means. For spreading the gospel around the globe. And, and, and how does persecution advance the gospel? Lots of ways. Let, let me name just three. How does persecution advance the gospel on this earth? Here's one way. One, when, when Christians are persecuted, they become stronger. They become stronger. The, the, the Bible says repeatedly, that, that we are supposed to rejoice when we suffer. 
And why is that? Because suffering's fun? No. <laughs> it's not fun. Why are we supposed to rejoice when we suffer? One of the main reasons is because it makes us stronger. Suffering produces in us things like character and then perseverance and hope, Romans chapter 5. Ken Lam, who wrote a book about the underground, underground church in China, he said that when the Christians in China were asked how the Christians in the West could pray for them, they said, pray that we will be faithful in suffering. But don't pray for the persecution to be removed, lest we become weak and lethargic like churches in the West. Persecuted Christians become stronger, gritty, more determined, more about the things of God, less about the things of this earth. They become bolder to confess Christ. Amen. It's not just the persecuted Christians themselves who become stronger. No, it's also the Christians who live around them and witness their persecution. They also become stronger. In Philippians 2.12, Paul says this about his imprisonment. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, most of the Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Persecution makes Christians stronger. And a second way that persecution advances the gospel here on this earth, number two, when Christians are persecuted, they scatter to new areas and to new people. Man, you can see it clearly in the book of Acts. For the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, the Christians were right there in Jerusalem. But then Stephen was stoned, martyred. And Acts 8.1 then says this. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. A God-appointed martyrdom of Stephen. And a subsequent God-appointed persecution, a great persecution, the Bible says, of the Christians there in Jerusalem. And what did they did? They scattered everywhere. And guess what? They took the gospel with them. And new people heard the incredible message of Jesus Christ, and they entered the kingdom of God. Persecution scatters Christians, makes them stronger, it scatters Christians. And a final way that persecution advances the gospel, here it is, when, when Christians are, are persecuted, when they endure that persecution well by the grace of God, 
or, or when they maybe even endure their own martyrdoms well by the grace of God, their actions are a powerful witness for Christ. Man, you, you, you think about it for a second. When, when a Christian is faced with a choice on this earth, deny Christ or suffer serious pain. Deny Christ or die. And that Christian says, I choose Christ and embraces the pain and maybe even the martyrdom that comes with embracing Christ. Do you realize what that person's actions are declaring? Christ is better. Christ is better. Christ is better. He's better than my life. He's better than my family. He's better than my kids. He's better than all of my possessions. He's better than everything I have. Christ is better. I believe Jesus Christ is real. I believe I will see him the second I die. I believe he's infinitely better than anything this life offers I choose Christ. Do you realize what a powerful testimony that is? Man, you just declared with your actions that you truly believe Christ is real and that Christ is better than everything. You just declared with your actions the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. And so easy to say Christ is better. When you die for Christ... You just prove that you really believe it. Christ is better. Man, that right there is an extremely powerful witness for Christ. I believe he's real. I believe he's better. Let goods and kindred go, as Martin Luther said. This mortal life also. Because for me to die in Christ really, truly is gain. As Paul said. I choose Christ. Powerful witness. Man, how many people have come to Christ because they they witnessed something like that? How many people have come to Christ in faith either by watching the persecution of Christians or by persecuting Christians themselves? There were so many of the Romans would sit in the Roman Colosseum and watch the believers devoured by lions. And how many of them came to Christ watching the Christians choose death and Christ instead of life. They see the witness and people are like, oh my word, they come to Christ. Man, we saw a video testimony of one person who was converted like that last week, the Voice of the Martyrs video. A young man named Suda shared the gospel in, in a Hindu area in India. He was beaten, thrown into a ditch. And the man who was chiefly responsible for his beating later came back, pulled him out of the ditch, and was converted. Sergei Kordakov, he tells the story of his own conversion in his autobiography called The Persecutor. And 
Sergei Kordakov, he was commissioned by the Russian secret police to raid Christian prayer gatherings and brutally persecute the believers. And on one particular raid, Kordakov, along with some other soldiers, came across a beautiful young Christian girl named Natasha. One of the soldiers picked Natasha up over his head and slammed her against the wall, fell to the ground semi-conscious, moaning. The soldier laughed and said, I'll bet the idea of God just flew right out of her head. But then on a later raid, another prayer meeting, Sergei and the other soldiers ran into Natasha again. And this time, Sergei beat her himself. Threw her on a table, the other soldiers held her down. Sergei beat her until he said he could not lift his arms up anymore. Said her back was a mass of raw flesh. Flesh coming away in his hands when he struck her. And then at a later raid, another prayer meeting, the soldiers ran into Natasha a third time. And just as one of the soldiers was getting ready to beat her again, one of the other soldiers jumped in front and said, do not touch her. Do not touch her. She has something that none of us has. Do not touch her. And Sergei, retelling the story later, he said that in that very moment, his heart began to soften. And he realized that Natasha really did have something that he didn't have. Something that must be extremely valuable. And he said, this heroic Christian girl who had suffered so much at our hands somehow touched and troubled me very much. And Sergei, just a little while later, came to Christ in faith. And in his bio- biography, Sergei wrote this. He said, And finally, to you, Natasha, whom I beat terribly, and who was willing to be beaten a third time for her faith, I want to say that because of you, my life has changed. I'm now a fellow believer in Christ with you. I have a new life before me. God has forgiven me. And I hope you can too. Thank you, Natasha. Wherever you are, I will never forget you. Man. There's just something about, about persecution. Man, you... you you would seriously think that it would be a strategic defeat for the cause of Christ, but it's not. God appointed, God appointed persecution makes Christians stronger, scatters Christians to new areas, and it gives Christians the opportunity to declare with their very lives that Christ is better. Persecution doesn't defeat the gospel. It advances the gospel. A God-ordained means for advancing the gospel around the globe. (laughs) 
all part of a master plan in heaven that no human strategist would ever conceive or could ever design. Tertullian once said, he said, we Christians multiply whenever you mow us down. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's true. And God planned it that way. And Satan just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. He has always tried to kill the church through persecution. But Satan doesn't understand that God conquers through death. He conquers through weakness. Satan persecuted and martyred Christ thinking it it was a massive win for him. But God used the, the martyrdom of Christ to open up the way of salvation for the world. And Satan now persecutes and martyrs Christians thinking that it's a massive win for him. But God simply uses it to bring the news of that way of salvation to every nation on this planet. God conquers through death, through weakness. Always has, always will. Jerome said, The church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not the blood of others. By enduring outrage, not by inflicting it. Persecutions have made it grow. Martyrdoms have crowned it. Persecution will come. Persecution is appointed by God. It advances the gospel. One final thing quickly about persecution. Persecution leads to massive eternal reward. In Matthew 5.11, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great. <laughs> for, for so they did, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Every single Christian on this planet who is persecuted for Christ, every single Christian who is martyred for Christ, receives a great reward, Jesus says, in heaven. You're storing up for yourself a massive heavenly reward. (laughs) Persecution for a Christian, death for a Christian, Martyrdom for a Christian, it really is gain, as the Apostle Paul said. Nothing, nothing, nothing but gain. You will experience pain in this fleeting temporary life, but man, God will more than make it up to you in the next life. A temporary pain, but a massive eternal reward. And that right there is why both Hudson Taylor and David Livingston, after, after long years of hard missionary labor, after lots and lots of persecutions, both of them said, I never made a sacrifice. How can you call it a sacrifice when you will receive infinite reward for what you've done on this earth. 
It's not a sacrifice. So four things the Bible says about persecution and its connection to God's global mission. Man, I'm really just trying to give you here this morning a basic theology of persecution. And and what are we supposed to do with all of that here this morning? Man, how, how should a basic theology of persecution affect us here, sitting in this comfortable little building in Woodbury, let me, let me mention quickly just a couple ways that I believe God, a couple things that I believe God probably wants to say to us here this morning. Number one, do not fear persecution. Do not fear it. So many Christians in America are terrified of persecution. We cannot go next door to our neighbor and talk about Christ because we're afraid of what they will think. And we hear about ISIS and freak out. <laughs> and I get it. I mean, I, who wants to lose their head? I don't. But I think a lot of Christians tend to freak out when they hear about that type of persecution in the earth because they don't understand it. It seems random and chaotic to them. Like Satan is just kind of running around the earth doing anything he wants. Killing people any time he wants. Oh no, Satan is winning. What do we do? But Satan is not winning. God already won at the cross. And we will someday soon see the finished product. People from every people group around the throne in heaven worshiping God. And every single persecution that occurs between now and then, every single martyrdom between now and then will ultimately pass through the hands of a loving, gracious, compassionate, all-powerful and sovereign God who is always in full control of everything and knows exactly what is best for His world and for you. And listen, every one of the persecutions that occurs, every one of the martyrdoms that occur, it will just bring us one step closer to that finished product in the kingdom of heaven. Do not fear persecution. Number two, embrace persecution. Embrace it. It's your calling. Embrace it. Don't run from it. Be prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel. That's part of your God-given calling. Be willing to suffer to see your neighbor come to Christ. Be willing to suffer to, to see your coworker come to Christ. Be willing to suffer to see unreached peoples come to Christ. Listen, God will raise up worshipers from every people group. They will be there ultimately around the throne worshiping God, but that will not happen apart from persecution. God has ordained it. Persecution is necessary. That's his plan. Nations won't be reached without it. Muslim countries won't be reached without martyrs. Muslims right now are dying for their false god. Committing suicide in order to kill people. For their false god. And they will not be one to the true god Unless Christians are willing to die in love. Out of love for them and for the one true God. 
Persecution is a God-ordained necessity. Embrace it, man. Embrace persecution. Number three, count the cost of global missions. Count the cost. God has called this church, man, to take an active role in his global mission. We want to do that, but we don't just want to play at that. And kind of treat it like it's just, you know, some interesting cross-cultural experience. No, we want to do it, sending people lavishly around the globe, sending some of our own people around the globe as full-time missionaries. But listen, as your pastor, I don't want to hide the cost from you. God is calling some of you to go. Full-time, global missions. And God wants you to know the cost, that you might be persecuted and may even lose your life for the sake of Christ. If you don't understand that, cost now. If you don't count the cost now, you will run the first time it comes. Richard Wormbrand used to, uh, he was imprisoned in Romania for 14 years because he was working with underground church in Romania. And there in Romania he used to teach little children the basics of the Christian faith. And before Richard Wormbrand would let those children say yes to Jesus, he would take them to the zoo and stand them in front of the lions And he would say, our forefathers were torn apart by lions. You probably won't be torn apart by lions, but you probably will be given over to men who will do worse. And you need to know that before you make a decision for Christ. Will you follow Christ? And those children said yes to Christ with tears in their eyes. Counting the cost. Count the cost. And man, number four, look to the reward. Look to the reward. Any persecution that comes your way, Anything, any pain for the sake of Christ, God will reward it in the kingdom of heaven. Look to the reward. God will raise up worshipers for himself in all nations. And it will happen through persecution. May God, may God enable us to embrace that truth. May God Enable us to go out boldly in our city, our country, all nations for the sake of His name. Father, we thank You for Your truth. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. You know what we need. We thank You, Lord. We thank You, Jesus, for Your sufferings on behalf of us. And we ask You, Father, that You would help us. Forgive us of our our fear. Forgive us of our worldliness, our lethargy, our laziness. Forgive us, Lord. Lord Jesus, we know that you truly are worthy to receive the reward of your suffering. And we know that you will not receive the full reward of your suffering without persecution. Help us to embrace our calling as Christians. And to go with joy for the sake of your glory. In your name we pray, amen.